I am glad to be here this morning and glad to represent uh, several things. I feel like a dual citizen. Uh, I am both a faculty member at Appalachian Bible College down in Beckley, West Virginia, which, by the way, we've had record-breaking snow in Beckley uh, since December the 18th, and it looks like you've had a little bit of that, too. And uh, we broke the record in early February, I believe, and uh, everything else has just been building there. But again, I am uh, sort of a dual citizen. I'm here to speak, represent the college because I'm still serving on the faculty there. And your pastor is a great asset to the board of directors for our college. And I'm grateful for his ministry. But then the other shoe, I guess, the other part of the dual citizenship would be that I'm here to represent missions. Uh, I have had the privilege, it's been my privilege, to serve as a missions teacher at Appalachian for the last six years. It was my privilege for 17 years before that to be a missionary supported out of the southeast. I'm from the southeast corner of Alabama where they grow corn and soybeans and peanuts and that kind of stuff. But actually it's from the peanut capital of the world, Dothan, Alabama. Um, You may have heard of a little peanut processing plant that got in trouble a couple of years ago for... Salmonella, that was the town I was born in. I almost don't, shouldn't say that. But uh, in any case, that's where I hail from. And we were missionaries commissioned, commissioned from a church in Alabama. And we've served for 17 years overseas and in Utah. And uh, it's been a great ministry. So I'm here this morning to be, to be both a representative of the college. I want to challenge you to think about Christian education always. But then to represent missions. I'm glad to be here on your World Missions Weekend. And I am so, I think, privileged, I feel privileged uh, to, to know your pastor and to know his ministry and, and just to, to share with you uh, what the Lord is doing in our life. Your pastor mentioned that we were going, or our goal is to get to Guam by 10, 10 of 10. And uh, this is, uh, uh, it, uh, that's our tentative schedule, I should say it that way. And uh, we do hope to be there. In fact, one of the one of the burdens on the shoulders of, of folks who leave to go to the mission field is what to do with a home. If you, I own a home in Beckley. When we moved there, we, we bought a place and I finished the basement just in time to move out of the house. And uh, that's kind of the way it goes, I guess. But just recently, a couple of weeks ago, um, another fellow faculty member and I uh, were talking about his family. He has uh, six children, six little girls, and his wife actually has five and his wife is is this week, next week, maybe the next week is going to deliver their sixth. And so we, we worked out this deal. It's kind of like the Lord just orchestrated a few details and our paths crossed and they're going to, they're going to take our house and uh, lease it and maybe buy it later on if the Lord wills. And, and I have to tell you, that is such a, um, it's hard to communicate what a relief that is to have that, that big hurdle uh, to have the Lord just kind of, you know, it's like the Lord, to me, it's a big, a big hurdle. And he just kind of goes, I can take care of that. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, that's the Lord we serve. And I can take care of that. And uh, that's no problem for me. You know, for us, it's like, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the Lord's like, don't worry. You know, be anxious for nothing. Everything by prayer and supplication. And the Lord says, I can take care of that. And so the Lord did. And I stand as a a man saying that it's a blessing to to serve the Lord. And he's just taken care of one of those big hurdles in our family. And and, uh, I feel blessed in that way. Let me talk about missions. Since it's been my privilege to serve as a missions teacher, 
it's been interesting in the last six years to to talk to different folks who come from so many different backgrounds. And our school is about 300 students from all over. I don't know how many states, but it's interesting to, to interact with students who come from many different backgrounds and many different uh, churches, the ways that churches, the way the churches support missions. And it's been interesting to see that, that sometimes we need to just go back and, and talk about the basics. I teach a course at the school that's, a, that's an introduction to missions. And the introduction to missions is, is a basic course. And here's what's involved with missions work. And we have some students who come to our school, like Matt White. One of, you know Matt White. He's a, he's a great brother. We've even done a little pheasant, not pheasant, but grouse hunting together uh, there. He's a good hunter. He can, he can shoot those birds so well. I, I just miss, you know, just wasting ammunition shooting across the sky. Uh, but he, he does that. And he, he and other students have come. And, and some of them come with, with a great background of missions. And Matt's one of them. And I appreciate your church and the background that he's brought as a student. But some come with, with no idea of how it works. And it's interesting as a teacher to just take and look at the basics in the book of Acts that talk about missions. And that's what I'd like to do this morning. And I know that you're a, a church interested in missions, but let me see if I can highlight a couple of passages in the book of Acts that give us just the basics. There's really only two things you need when, if missions is to work. If, if worldwide missions, if the gospel being spread around the world, uh, if that's going to be accomplished, if the Lord's final marching orders to us are going to be obeyed and fulfilled, and that final marching orders were go and make disciples of all the ethnic groups, even the Chadian African group. They make disciples of all. It's matatusate pantante ethne is the Greek word. That's not Arabic. That's a, about all the Greek I can speak this morning. But in any case, ethne is the word. The Lord says, go and make disciples. And, and we use the word nations. This is in Matthew 28, but don't turn over there. We use the word nations to translate that word. But really, if you think about what were the nations that existed on the face of the earth when the Lord spoke those words. They've all changed. I mean, there's still some that are still there. Egypt is still there, and, and Israel is back, praise the Lord. But in any case, the nations have changed. The word nations leads us sometimes to think about political boundaries and the lines on a map. But truthfully, as Brother Steve was saying this morning, it's ethnic groups. And sometimes those ethnic groups can cross borders, like the ethnic group that he's working with. If we're going to carry out the Lord's will, if we're going to make disciples of all the nations, how do we do that? Well, thankfully, God's given us uh, some examples to follow. And I mentioned the two things. I hold up one hand on this side, one hand on the other side. The, it, it sounds very basic when I say this. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy to say that one of the things that's needed... If missions is going to happen the way the Lord intends for it to happen, I believe, one of the things we need is simply churches that have a world missions focus. Can I say that again? It's simple, but it's, it's not easy. For a church to be a church that's going to carry out the Great Commission, we have to have a world missions focus. Now, that doesn't mean that we only think about people overseas. It means that we serve the Lord where we are, at the same time, we think about other people in the world who do not have the gospel. 
Let me show you the church. An illustration, uh, a character study about a church, a, a living illustration is sometimes the best way to communicate. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 13. And let me show you this church. You may have heard about the church that was at Antioch better earlier. You may have heard about the church that was at Antioch in, in previous missions times. And I hope you're not surprised that on a mission Sunday and a missionary, we're talking about the book of Acts. And I hope you've taught through the book of Acts and, and have studied through it. Let me highlight a few verses in Acts chapter 13. And let me just simply make some observations about a church that is a, a model church when it comes to this world missions emphasis. The church is the church at Antioch. Antioch is the place where Christians lived for God so much that people of the world started calling them Christ followers. They probably said it that way with a little bit of disgust in their voice. Oh, you must be, you know, I watch you and observe you. You must be one of those Christ followers, Christ-like ones. Wouldn't it be great if somebody says that about us today? That happened in the city of Antioch. People were, had heard the gospel and they, they were loving the Lord so much that the, the lost people around them started calling them names like, you Christ-like one. And it was a negative word to them. But oh, what a badge of honor for those of us who know our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The city is the city of Antioch. Look what Acts chapter 13, just the first few verses say. And really, all I want to do is read through these verses and let me just make some observations. Observations about this model church and hopefully the principles we can, can apply to our lives today. Acts chapter 13 verse 1 says this. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Then the text names them. Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and lastly in the verse 1, Saul. Look at the, the names of these men become very important to us. And then verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. You kind of get the idea that they, they just kind of, verse 2, the Lord says, send them. Verse 3, they, they snap their body at attention and lock their heels and, yes, sir, Lord, we'll send them. They do what the Lord's bidding is. Look back over at verse 1. Look at, look at this church for a second. Let me, let me highlight a couple of things. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Uh, let me point out. The first thing that comes to the mind of the writer, who is Luke in the book of Acts, the first thing that comes to his mind when he thinks of this church gathered at the city of Antioch, the first thing that comes to his mind is, man, they've got some prophets and teachers over there. It doesn't say they have a nice church building. Uh, they probably didn't. It doesn't say they are you know, wealthy. It says the, the first thing that comes to Luke's mind when he writes about this church at Antioch, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, is that... They have some prophets and teachers. What do prophets and teachers do? Well, the prophet is the one who, who stands before, who speaks before. And sometimes in the Old Testament and in biblical literature, the prophet forespeaks. But most of the time in the New Testament, it's someone who speaks before. You know what Luke is saying about this church? Later on, we're going to find out that they are the mission church. But when the first characteristic of the church is... They have some teachers over there. You know what that tells us by implication? That this church was a, a church that was well taught. 
This church was a church that spent time studying, obviously, the Old Testament scriptures. This church was a church that, you know, before we get to the, the world missions part, let's focus on where they are. And Luke says, they are a well-taught church. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you this. And it is honest, I hope. I hope I'll be honest the whole time. Uh, but the point is that before Fellowship Bible Church can be that missions church, and you're well on the way to it. Let me remind us that we need to be well taught in the things of God where we are. It's a blessing. I've been standing with Wilhelm and his family and and we stayed with them last night. And he told me this morning on the way in we were talking about Mormons. And he said, you know, the Mormons knock on the door. And he says, I invite them in and have great conversations with them. A person who's well taught in the scripture can do that. I hope you're able to do that. Because those, those young men who knock on your door have a message, and it's not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the scripture. But you know what? They are also lost. And they need somebody to love them enough to say, you know, I disagree with you. Let me tell you what I believe. They want to bear their testimony and tell you what they've experienced and the burning in the bosom and all that kind of stuff. You know, you can do the same thing. You can say, well, you know, I listen to what you have to say. Let me tell you what I have to say. And I can tell you about a little fire in my bosom too. And that when I hear the word of God spoken and taught at the church where we meet together, it warms my heart. Well, my point is, here in Antioch, this, the first characteristic of a model missions church is that they have a teaching ministry. They're well taught where they are. I don't know if you uh, make a habit of coming to Sunday school or not, but let me just say, you should. I mean, don't pass up an opportunity to be instructed in the scripture. Don't pass up an opportunity to be a well-taught church. And Pastor Van and others who, who stand and teach the word to you, oh, what a blessing. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. I was a pastor for a good long while, so I, I feel like I can say this with confidence. The one who learns the most in Sunday school is the teacher, not the student. So if somebody, part of the leadership says, hey, could you teach the seven and eight-year-olds in Sunday school? And you, oh, I, I just don't know enough. So, man, let me, this is an opportunity for you to learn. And I, if you haven't realized that, you know, part of being a well-taught church could be doing some teaching. Because as a teacher and a pastor, I'll say, the one who learns the most is the teacher. Especially when you have kids who are going to ask you all kinds of questions. You'll really want to be prepared. And before you know it, maybe even without realizing it, you, you, you're the one who's strengthened. And you're the one who's fortified. First characteristic of a church that's a great missions church is they, have a, they are a, a well-taught church. And then look at the names of the, the preachers and teachers there. There's Barnabas. There's Simeon, who was called Niger. There's Lucius of Cyrene. There's Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And there's Saul. And I don't want to read too much into just the listing of the names. But you know, if you look at those names, you'll see people who have Jewish names, people who have, have Greek names. You'll see uh, Saul is mentioned there. You'll see Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa. His skin was probably a different color than some of the other people in, in the Asia part of, of where Antioch is. And the point is that out of the, the names of these leaders could point out that this church not only was a well-taught church, but number two... They had reached out to the people that were around them. You can see people from all socioeconomic groups in the names of the leaders of the church at Antioch. And that tells us, obviously, it's an observation from the text, and you have to think through it for a minute, but it tells us they probably were effective in reaching out to everybody that was around them. Before Fellowship Bible Church can become, or you're on the way, 
before you become a church that matches up to the church at Antioch, you need to be involved with reaching out to those that are around you. This is uh, the names of these people. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and even Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Those are people that represent lots of economic, lots of, of, of ethnic groups within that church. Can I ask you, you know, it's one thing to be excited about Guam and, and Chad, and I hope you are. But do you, do you know your neighbor's name? And I have to make a little confession here. Last summer, last summer I went to Guam. And I went to teach for a week on the island of Saipan, just north of Guam. And I thought, you know, I'm going to travel halfway around the world to talk to these people. And my heart was smote that, that I never went over to my neighbor Larry's house and talked to him. And it was one of those, you know, the old preacher things. And, and I grew up in church here. And, you know, you've got to go across the street before you can go across the ocean. And my heart was smitten so much that I'm glad to say he didn't get saved. But I, I went over and knocked on the door of my neighbor, Larry, and said, Larry, you know, I noticed you and your wife have been going through some difficult times. You know, can I, just, can I just talk to you as a neighbor? And I had a good conversation with him, and it didn't really turn towards spiritual things. But I have to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm confessing as a, as a Bible college missions professor that it took looking at a, a 24-hour trip to the other side of the world before I'd realized I needed to walk 15 or 18 steps across the street to talk to my neighbor Larry. Do you know your neighbor's name or talk to him? We Americans are so cloistered in our homes. You know, we know more people in the workplace than we do in the neighborhood. And, and if your neighbors are unfriendly, I'm not saying you ought to go badger them. But what I am saying is that this church, the names of the leaders point out that they had been involved in other people's lives. A lot of ethnic groups. Fellowship Bible Church. Witness to those across the street too. And then you're on the road, more on the road to being that mission church. So they're a well-taught church. The names of the leaders points out that they may have reached out to all the groups that were around them. Look at their attitude. The third thing about this missions church in verse three, or verse two, it says, "And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, "Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul." Now look at that phrase, verse two, right at the very beginning. As they ministered to the Lord, let me read a little attitude into that. You know, many times we, we get to thinking that, oh, I minister to the youth, or I minister to the choir, or I minister to the, the, the coffee donut ministry. Thank the Lord for those that do that. I ministry, minister to these. Can I say, attitude-wise, this missions church, Antioch, the scripture says, as they ministered to the Lord. You know, folks, if we, if we could just grab in our minds that what I do for the church and what I do for others is really for the Lord first. Man will be a great team. If we just could, could get above all of that. Well, you know, the pastor didn't say thank you for all the work that I did. So I'm just not going to do that anymore. As a pastor, I've, I've you know, almost heard that. I heard you know, words to that effect. But let me say, you know, if you, if you have this attitude where what I do, I do for the Lord doesn't matter if somebody else says thank you. It doesn't matter if somebody notices. It doesn't matter if somebody calls attention to the fact that you did this job that was, you know, an inglorious job. If you have the attitude of, I do this for my Lord and Savior, then the rest of it doesn't matter. Oh, if we had a church full of people like that, it wouldn't, you know, that would, I think that would lower a little bit of the, the rub sometimes that we feel with each other. If we just had an attitude of, we minister to the Lord. 
They were a well-taught church. They were a church that reached out to those that were around them. They had an attitude of ministering to the Lord. And then in the, in the first part of verse 2, they fasted. They, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And, you know, when I think of that word fasting, you know what fasting is, right? It's where you do without something physical so that it helps you remember to, to think about something spiritual. Usually we think about it as food, and we Americans don't do much of that fasting, but maybe we should. Maybe I should let's move on, preacher. I'll talk about fasting this morning in, in, in church. But the, the point of fasting is you, you, you in, they inconvenience to themselves. That's really what fasting is about. It's you inconvenience yourself so that you can serve in some other way. And, you know, I, I want to tell you, helping people, ministering to people, teaching the youth, teaching the Sunday school, working with children, you know, there, there are going to be times where it's just not convenient. And I've jokingly said to my, my wife the other day, we've had all this snow and ice and we were, I was trying to, to pull one of my sons out because he got stuck. And I was like, man, I wanted to say, son, if you just do it the way I told you to do it, you wouldn't get stuck. And then I, I reminded myself, you know, helping people is never convenient. I think that the devil just orchestrates it so it's not convenient. This church ministered to the Lord and inconvenienced themselves for others. They fasted. Oh, there's lots of other characteristics. They, they, were, they ministered to the Lord. They fasted. The Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. And they said, yes, sir, Lord, you can have them. You know, that's another attitude uh, in a church. They were, they, were, they were willing to give up leadership. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. So what I'm about to say is not directed at anybody. But I wonder, Fellowship Bible Church, you know, do, you, do you have the attitude, oh, we, we just couldn't make it without so-and-so. I mean, think about this church. Who was their, their Sunday school teacher was Saul. And the Lord says, I want him to go to some place where, you know, he can't minister to the big, the masses in Antioch anymore, you know, a thriving ministry. I'm taking him to the mission field. And the church says, okay, he's yours. Most of the time we, we say, Lord, most of the time we want the Lord to call people we have problems with away somewhere else. You know, Lord, would you take him to the mission field? You know, we just, we just, you know. He's going to destroy the place. Would you call him to the mission field? That's, never mind. I won't say too much. But that's opposite of what you see in this church. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And Saul, the, the teacher, the scribe. And the Lord calls him away. And the church says, okay, Lord. If you want them, you take them. I, I say that, I know that you've sent students off for Bible training and sometimes you get, the, uh, you get the idea that, man, just about the time they get ready to serve in our church, they go somewhere else. Can I say, that's a missions church. That's what's happening in this church at Antioch. The Lord says, separate Barnabas and Saul to me. And then verse 3, they fasted, they prayed, they saluted, yes sir, Lord, they're yours. And then Barnabas and Saul willingly separated from the church. The word is actually the word, sometimes it's translated divorced. Having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. The idea is not the negative of the word divorce, but just as a separation. Barnabas and Saul, farewell one Sunday morning. There's their worship in there at Antioch. And they go to the mission field. That's the first thing. Can can you see? Missions is not going to work unless churches have a mentality 
that missions is our focus. That doesn't mean that you only focus overseas, but what we do here in, in Charlestown, West Virginia, is for the Lord. It's our ministry. It's our service. And this, it, we are making disciples here while we send Barnabases and Sauls to make disciples in Africa or make disciples in Nigeria. By the way, I've never seen Skype before. And uh, that was, even, just, even though it was a little garbled, man, that's still good. I mean, it's live. I mean, those people, when they smile, you can see them right here. I, I, I got to get more. The students are more high-tech than I am there at the college. They, to them, that's old hat. But to me, I think it's just, just cool. That's just cool that you can do that. Well, in any case, that's the church. I mentioned there's two things, though. The, the first is a church. We've got to have churches that have a mentality like the church at Antioch. And then secondly, and this is logical... But the second thing that if missions is going to work, these are basics. If missions is going to work, we've got to have churches that are missionary minded. But then we also need, we've we got to have people who are willing to go. Let me, let me show you one. All right? it's, a, it's a recruitment passage in the book of Acts. It's the passage where the Apostle Paul, as a missionary, comes to a church and he recruits somebody to go to the mission field with him. It's just a couple of pages over, Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, we see the, the man's name is Timothy. And in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey. Now, you know, a few years have passed. Um, they've gone through this area once. They're going back to, to check on the brethren. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 says this. Then he came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. Verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with them. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Look at verse 2 again. He was well spoken of by their brethren. Verse 3, Paul wanted to have him go with them. This is, this Acts chapter 16 verses 1, 2, and 3 are the, the recruiting passage. And it, it paints a picture of, of God's candidate for the mission field. And uh, since I'm one of those, I, I want to be very you know, careful here. But here's the idea. We've got to have the church model is in Acts 13. The missionary model of the candidate is in Acts 16. And in Acts 16, the story is the Apostle Paul and Silas. They're on a missionary journey. They come through Lystra and Derby, And they meet somebody who's, who's actively involved in the church there at Lystra and Derby, And they recruit him to go on the mission field. Let me point out a couple of things about this recruit. His name is Timothy. But notice first, they're, he's, they're in the town, verse 1. He came to Derby and Lystra. You know Derby and Lystra would be um, kind of like you know, small towns in the, in the overall scheme of things. You know what that tells me? That, that God is not, may not be looking for missionary recruits from, from the center of the universe, Washington, D.C. He's looking for people that come from, from obscure places. Lystra and Derby was an obscure place. And then in verse 1 it says, And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. It's almost like you get the, the tone from these, this verse that when the Apostle Paul and Silas went through the, the city of Derby and Lystra and they ministered to the bodies of believers that were there, it's like everybody, they talked about Timothy. He's a certain disciple. Ah, we, you know, Timothy. And then it says that in verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Derby and Lystra. That's the idea that, that this recruit for the mission field, let me just paint a picture for you. Number one, the recruit for the mission field is well spoken of by his local congregation. 
You know what that tells me? That God is looking for people who are actively involved in serving in their local congregations to go on the mission field. And I'm not here to be a, a travel agent and send you on a guilt trip, that's for sure. But I am here to say that if God is tugging at your heart and you just, you know, if you, the thing that separates knowing the will of God from just an emotional whim is, prob- is time. And if God's tugging at your heart and, and saying, you know, I want you to serve me somewhere on the mission field, I, you know, and you, you just can't get it out of your mind, and, and, you know, punch the hold button on it and let it sit for a year. And a year later, if you think, man, I don't know how in the world I could have been thinking that, then it's probably safe to say that wasn't God's will for you. But if a year later you just can't get it out of your mind and, and it just it always happens and it's like, you know, Lord, are you, are you just you're reminding me of this little, little, uh, little niggling idea in the back of my mind, then it may be that you need to pay attention to that. My point is that the recruit for the mission field was Timothy and Timothy was a certain disciple... He was well spoken of by the brethren that were there. This man had actively lived out his faith in front of his local congregation. I know a missionary person who, a person who volunteered for the mission field, and it was kind of a surprise to everybody, including their pastor. And it's like, you know, it never, hardly ever comes to church. And certainly not faithful in a teaching ministry. Not sure they even ever led anybody to the Lord or discipled anybody. But yet they want to volunteer for the mission field. That's not what's happening in Acts 16. In Acts 16, we've got Timothy who's, who's busy involved serving God. And Paul says, I want him to go to the mission field with me. And the, other, the rest of the congregation that knows Timothy says, good choice, Paul. Good choice. He's somebody, he will serve on the field. He won't be like John Mark who deserted you earlier. He will serve. He's been faithful here. The point, I guess the idea is, first thing, the... The missionary candidate, this model missionary candidate, is well spoken of by the brethren. He's willing to be separated from his friends and his family. And I I have to be careful here. We know that Timothy's mother and grandmother were Eunice and Lois. And we read about them later on in the New Testament time. But when we look at what's happening in Acts 16, you know that it's almost like Eunice and Lois, his father is not on the scene here. But Eunice and Lois say, take him, Lord. I have six children. And I'm gonna, I'll, I'll tell you, man, if, if one of my kids, especially one of my girls, said, Dad, I think God's calling me to some disease-ridden, war-torn, dangerous country where they don't have good drinking water and, and the, the air is polluted and, and the people are violent and the leaders are unreasonable men, man, I, I'm just not quite sure. I'd like to think I'd say... Okay, Lord, she's yours. You take her. That's what you see in Acts 16. The Apostle Paul says, I want Timothy to come and go with me. And his family says, well, Lord, this is, a, you know, this is my Social Security that's walking down the road here. You know, there's no Social Security in that day. Children were the future. And they gave it up for the Lord. And I know, boy, as parents and grandparents, sometimes missions involves being separated. So Timothy was well spoken of. Timothy was willing to be separated from his friends and family. Timothy was willing to take a risk as a missionary. Let me set the stage for you again. Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas had come through Derby and Lystra about two years before this. And when they came through then, you know what happened to him at Derby and Lystra? They stoned him and left him for dead. Now put yourself two years fast forward. 
Paul comes back through, preaching the message. And you know, man, last time he was here, they stoned him and left him for dead on the side of the road. And then he comes in and he says, I'm still preaching the same message. I want to go to new places and I want to preach till they get mad enough to stone me and leave me for dead. And hey, would you come go with me? You know, come along with me. You know, this, this may be dangerous. We may get stoned, but you know, Timothy, are you willing to, to come along with me? Uh, I, I don't, missions is an adventure, but it's also something that, that it, it takes somebody who's willing to take a risk. I appreciate your missionaries that are here today. and To Chad, Africa, where there's no roads. GPS probably doesn't even work on, out there. No roads. The Apostle Paul recruited Timothy. And then there's one last thing about this recruit, and I'll, I'll close with this thought. We've got to have a church that's a missions church. That's Antioch. We've got to have people who are willing to go. That's Acts 16, Acts 13, and Acts 16. But I can't pass this up. Paul took Timothy, verse 3. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. So he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. And without getting into a detailed explanation and exposition of what circumcision is, let me just say that it was a, a, a probably a very inconvenient, up-close and personal sacrifice on Timothy's part. But here's the point. When in the book of Acts did they decide, you don't have to be circumcised? That's Acts chapter 15. And when is Paul recruiting Timothy? Acts chapter 16. So my point is that this missionary candidate was somebody who did not live by the minimum standard. There is one thing we need today across the nation and and certainly in all of the churches that honor the Lord. We need people who stop doing the minimum. We need people who are like Timothy and they say, I don't have to do this. I I don't have to go through this, make this sacrifice. But I will because it helps me to be a servant who's listened to. It helps me to represent Christ better. Can I tell you? If you're that mission church, that's you. But it kind of comes to an, an arrow with every one of us when it comes to Timothy. Are we willing to be this kind of candidate for the Lord? Too many times, we'll, you know, as long as church is convenient, we'll come. As long as it's a little entertaining, we'll come. But what about the times when it's just, you just have to be more than a minimum standard kind of disciple. And if that's you, then the Lord's looking for you. Maybe to serve here faithfully. Man, what a blessing to hand out 25 years service teaching four and five year olds. I saw a lady get one of those awards one time and I stand in awe of that. I mean, I cannot imagine 25 years of teaching three and four year olds. Don't be the minimum standard disciple for the Lord. The church, the disciple. Acts 13 and Acts 16. May the Lord bless the reading and the explanation of His Word. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. Thank you for these models. Help us, Lord, to live up to them. I ask for Your blessings as we go our ways today. May the the words that I've spoken be used of You or by You to ring Your truth to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.